0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from The District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info@thedistrictchurch. Um, our ears to listen, and it's in your precious Son's name we pray. Amen. John chapter 1, and uh, we are. Is the mic on out there? All right, good. Just checking. Um, John chapter 1, we are starting a new series today called the Gospels. Uh, So I just want to kind of give you a quick little snapshot of of what this is going to look like. Um, We're starting it today uh, and then leading it all the way into Easter, um, where we'll ultimately end with the. Uh, crucifixion of Christ and the Resurrection of Christ um, at, at that time at Easter. Uh, we have a logo as well. If you guys can go and put the logo up on the screen. Um, I want to talk about the logo for a minute as well. Um, although you may be having some technical difficulties. Hey, there it is. All right, good. Can you all hear me out there? Is this on? All right, well, I'll just, I'll just keep yelling out there. Um, but anyways, the Gospels, what we're going to be doing is looking chronologically at the life of Jesus through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, so any of the major events about the life of Jesus um, that, that have references in any one of those books, we're going to be pulling from those in order to talk about Jesus. Um, because again, that's what, that's what we value as a church uh, above all is talking about Jesus. If we don't talk about Jesus We're not a church if we don't live a life for Jesus, then we're not living in worship of God We're not glorifying God and so we're we're unapologetically all about Jesus and so that's why we want to do this series in the Gospels and and these symbols that you see up here these arrows um, They're not like some code for you to, to beat a level in some PlayStation game um, as far as like going down over and whatever um, but rather these are these are actually symbols that mean something and so um, as we talk about the Gospels the good news The good news is the fact that God came down in the form of Jesus Christ as a man And then he ministered alongside of people he, he came and, and in, in order to serve he came in order to pursue one another as he moved forward in relationships And then, as we're going to be talking about today with the story of John the Baptist, John the Baptist made this famous statement where he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. And so the minus sign is the fact that he came uh, not just to uh, be served, but rather to serve us by removing our sins, by offering us forgiveness. And then, as we'll celebrate at Easter, his resurrection and his ascension back to heaven. So that's kind of what those symbols mean if you happen to see them on social media or, or wherever and if you happen to get into a conversation and someone sees it you're able to kind of tell them this they're telling a story they're telling the story about the good news of the gospel and so um, today we're going to be as I said talking about John the Baptist he, he's not Jesus and so i kind of am contradicting myself already by saying we're talking about Jesus but now we're going to talk about John the Baptist but it's very important for us to do this um, because and here, here's why but before we, we watch the Super Bowl today, um, there's going to be a pre-game show. There's going to be some guys who come together and they talk about the game before the game even happens. And the reason why they're talking about the game is because they're telling us what we should ex- expect. They're telling us who are going to be the major players in the game. They're telling us what the strategies of both of the teams are going to be, what strategies they're going to employ in order to ultimately win the game. And so basically what the pregame show is meant to do is to tell us, don't miss what's supposed to happen in this game. There's going to be some big things going on, and we want you to look for those big things that are happening. And this is what ultimately John the Baptist is doing with us, Um, and and ultimately in 1st century with with the Jews outside of Jerusalem as he's ultimately telling them he's preparing the way for Jesus. He's basically saying, don't miss Jesus. Don't miss him. And that's what today's message is all going to be about, is one guy in the life of Jesus who gives the pregame report. The guy who brings this pregame report, as I said, is by the name of John. Scripture also refers to him as John the Baptist, Um, as he had a ministry in the wilderness where he preached the coming Messiah. He called people to repent and to be baptized. And then ultimately, um, he he preached um, repent and be baptized, symbolizing the fact that they would receive new life with the Messiah. He's the distant cousin of Jesus. Um, And not only is he family, but Jesus refers to him in Luke chapter 7 as the greatest man to ever live born of woman. And so if you were to say, well, I thought I was the greatest, like you're, you're not the greatest that's ever lived. Jesus says John the Baptist was the greatest man who's ever lived. And Jesus doesn't lie. So we, we, we're not going to be the greatest. Jesus said John the Baptist was. John always knew his calling in life. It was even evident when he was in his mother Elizabeth's womb. Uh, While Elizabeth was pregnant with John, she was about six months ahead of Mary when Mary found out that she was pregnant with Jesus. Mary then travels um, a three days journey in order to go to Elizabeth uh, just to visit with her. And when Mary walks in pregnant with Jesus, the baby in Elizabeth's womb, John the Baptist, leaps for joy because it says he was filled with the Spirit. He was filled with the Spirit. John, from the point of conception in the womb, and, and we'll even see in the Scripture that even before he was born, God had consecrated him. God had set him apart in order to fulfill this ministry of preparing the way for Jesus. That sounds like a great life, right? He's a relative of Jesus. He has his own ministry. Jesus thinks of him as the greatest man to ever live, but his life didn't end as pleasant as it began The king during this time was a guy by the name of Herod, and he was a very sex-crazed leader. He loved women, and in particular, he loved his brother's wife, Herodias. John was always a bold preacher and specifically even rebuked the king because of his relationship with Herodias, the fact that it was an unlawful uh, relationship. And so naturally, Herodias was not a happy woman when it came to her thoughts about John the Baptist. He ultimately gets arrested, gets thrown into prison. And because of his message about sin, repentance, and the coming of Jesus, John the Baptist gets his head cut off, gets his head beheaded. And we'll talk more about that here in a little bit. But here's the thing. John the Baptist is, a, is a very significant person in the life of Jesus. Jesus. And so what I want to do is I want to see what we can glean from this backwoods, camel-skin-wearing, locust-and-honey-eating country preacher um, whose life is a major event in the ministry of Christ. So John chapter 1, I'm going to do a little exercise with you, but before we do, I want us to pray again um, just for the Holy Spirit to lead us in the reading of His Word and, and the instruction of it as well. Father, we thank You so much for Your love. Uh, We thank you for your grace. We thank you for this opportunity to be able to uh, come and gather together as the church, to gather together in order to uh, live under the banner of the gospel, the good news that you came down, that you minister to us, that you took away our sins, and then you resurrected, promising and guaranteeing for us the fact that we too one day will be resurrected with you and live in eternity with you. God, we ask that as we go through this series, as we look at these major life uh, events, we ask that your Holy Spirit would take what is head knowledge and move it to become heart knowledge so that it increases our affections for you, it increases our desires for you, it increases our worship to you, and ultimately that it will increase our awareness of those around us in order for us to share the hope of the good news of the gospel for them to be able to receive it and for them to be able to know Jesus as Savior because that's ultimately what John the Baptist is wanting in this series and in, in this message from his ministry is he does not want people to miss Christ and so God may we not miss him in our daily lives may we not miss him as we go through this series may we not miss him in our studies May we not miss him even in our obedience, but God, may we grow in a deeper and more intimate relationship with him every single day. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, John chapter 1, we're going to pick it up in verse 1, and so follow along with me if you've got your Bibles open. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black one around you. Uh, If you don't have one, that one is a gift as well. You can keep it and take it with you. Uh, But John chapter 1, it will also be on the screen as well if you can't uh, read. (laughs) In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. All right, so who are we talking about here in these first five verses? Come on, don't be shy. Who are we talking about? Jesus. All right, good job. Like if you say Jesus 80% of the time, you're going to be right. All right, that's just Sunday School 101. All right, verse 6. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. All right, so who are we talking about here? Right, not a trick question. You're two for two. All right, John the Baptist. Verse 9. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Who are we talking about here? Jesus. All right, good. You nailed it. Three for three. I got faith in you guys. You're good. So let's think about this grammatically first, not, not theologically yet, but just grammatically. We have intro to Jesus, and then pause, and then we have intro to John the Baptist, and then pause, and then we go back to resuming the intro to Jesus, and then, then if you were to skip down to verse 19, it then begins with, this is the testimony of John. John the Baptist, not the apostle who's writing this book, but the testimony of John the Baptist. And so if you were to submit the book of John to your English teacher, what she's going to do is she's going to take those verses 6 through 8, she's going to circle them, she's going to drag them down to verse 19 and and, and say ultimately this is where that intro should have started. She's then going to give you a C and write in big letters, wrong. Right? Right? Like, that's what she's going to do because why in the world would you start an introduction for one person and then go into an introduction to another person to then go back to the next one? Like, we're going to need you to do the eighth grade over again. And some of you are thinking, like, you waited to do paragraphs till you were in eighth grade? Like, I'm from White House, all right? Things are a little slower there, all right? But this is the reality, like, like looking at this, it doesn't look like it makes sense. And so why is this? Why do we have John the Baptist in the middle of the intro of Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah? And I want to give you several Old Testament examples of why I think this is true. Um, and so turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, um, and it will also be on the screen um, if you get lazy because we're also going to be turning it several times. But Exodus chapter 3, picking it up in verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He said also, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. For he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, and, and if you underline Underline these quotations right here from the Lord. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. For I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppressions with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. So you have in this story here, you have the Israelites who were enslaved to the Egyptians and God calls for Moses to give him a plan to ultimately free the people. In verses 7 and 8, God says he's heard the cries of the people and he's going to deliver them. He's going to free them. If I was Moses in this story and I'm listening to God tell me that I'm going to deliver the people, then I would say, why are you talking to me? Like, why am I here? If, if you're going to do something great, if you're ultimately going to come down and deliver the people out of their bondage, then why am I here? And then what does he go on to say in verse 10? I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people out. So when God wants to move, when God wants to do something great, when he wants to flex his guns in a certain way, what he does is instead of him acting it in his own power, which he can do at any moment, he ultimately grabs an ordinary guy and places him in a position in order for him to do what God wants him to do. He says, go and tell, go and do, go and free. I'm going to use you to ultimately accomplish what I want to get done. If you don't think this is how God works, let's look at another one. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 through 9 says this, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. That's like the champion verse of all missionaries who have ever lived, right? Continue reading it. Nobody wants this ministry. He said, go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. So there's this need for someone to tell the people what God wants. Now, this isn't like an intrinsic need. This isn't like God's up in heaven worried saying, who are we going to send? Like, who's going to go for us? Like, I, I, I'm freaking out here. Like, Jesus, do you have any two sins? Holy Spirit, what do you think about this? Like, I need to send somebody, but we don't have anybody who's going to go. Like God's not doing that up in heaven. God's sovereign. He knows what's going on. And at the same time, this isn't Isaiah down on earth going, fellas, I got this. Send me. I'm good. I've got this. This is not what's going on here. What's going on here is when God wants to move, he grabs an ordinary guy and he uses him in order to spread the word, in order to tell the truth about him to the people who need to hear the truth. And the reality is is that the truth that Isaiah spread to the people, to the Israelites, was one that they hated him for. They hated him so much for it that they ended up sawing him in half. Who wants that ministry? We're not going to, I mean, I don't want it. Still don't think this is how God works. Let's look at one more. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 8. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, this is, this is Jeremiah saying, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them for I am with you to deliver you declares the Lord. Here again, Jeremiah says, I'm just a youth. I don't know how to speak. I don't know how to do this. I can't do this. And ultimately, God comes in and says, I've got a plan. I've got a will. I knew you before you were born. I set you apart before you were born for this work, for this ministry, in order for you to to speak truth to the people, and you're going to do it. I'm going to give you the ability to do it. So ultimately, God, what He does in Scripture throughout all of Scripture, is any time that he wants to exact his will, he grabs an, an ordinary person in order to use them to spread his word. This is why we have John the Baptist sandwiched in between the introduction of Jesus because before Jesus comes in and begins his ministry, God sends a guy in order to spread the news about what Jesus is going to do, about what God is ultimately Going to do. What God does is He grabs viceroys. A viceroy is a person who acts on behalf of the authority of a sovereign. We are viceroys that God has given each one of us authority in order to spread the truth of the gospel for people to be saved, for people to enter into a relationship with God. We have that authority because we have Christ living inside of us that when we share the gospel, when we teach the gospel to someone, It actually has the power to forgive them of their sins and ultimately bring them into a relationship with God. We're viceroys. He uses extraordinary sinners in order to share about an extraordinary Savior. So let's get back to John. There's this 400-year silence from the last prophet in the Old Testament until the New Testament begins. And it begins in a big way. This silence that comes in, the breaking of the silence, is literally the preaching and proclaiming of Jesus Christ saying, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. So there's two things that we can gather from this text in regards to John the Baptist. We'll deal with all the, the word and the light and, and, and the testimony of Jesus. Um, in the coming weeks, but spoke, uh, just, just looking at the idea of him being a witness and him not being the light are the two things that we're going to focus on today. First, God calls witnesses to set on display the glory and magnificence of Jesus Christ. And second, the more we make much of Jesus, the less we make much of ourselves. That's what we're going to be talking about today. So what is John witnessing and what is John testifying? Here's the Messiah. Here's the break of the 400 years of science, or of silence. And how does God introduce the Messiah to the world? God sends a man to prepare the way to testify and to tell the people that Christ is here. John's not the Messiah, but he comes to tell the people, "Don't miss the Messiah. You can be involved in your sports, you can be involved in your drama, you can be involved in your work, your families, your neighborhoods, wherever you're at. You can be involved in those things, but the point of John the Baptist is to tell you, don't miss Jesus in your life. Every day is an opportunity for us to either see Jesus or miss Jesus. You don't have to be great, you don't have to know everything, you don't have to speak perfectly. God chooses mediocre people and says, go and do, go and speak, go and serve, go and tell people about Jesus as John the Baptist did. John's whole ministry is to be a witness about who Jesus is and not who he is, and then testify about what he witnessed in order for people to believe in Jesus. When you witness something, you, you learn it, you observe it, you understand it, and then you share it with those who are around you. This is what it means to be a witness. I know that idea of witnessing to others or testifying to others or sharing your testimony can be one of those things that's, that's, that, that's Christianese at times, but ultimately all it is is telling people, this is who I was before Christ and this is what Christ has done in my life. This is how I've never measured up. This is how I've continued to mess up. This is how I, can, how I still mess up now, but this is ultimately what Christ has done. This is who He is. This is who I'm not. That's a testimony. Why is it important for us to, to witness, to testify as John has done? Why is it important for us to speak the gospel to others? Because God implemented a strategy for how the world was going to come to know Jesus. And it was through the proclamation of the good news. And i got to spend a little bit of time on this just because... Um, Sometimes we, we can get muddied in the water when it comes to proclaiming news to people. And I believe one of the main reasons why is there's a famous quote by a guy. It's actually ascribed to Francis of Assisi. Um, but, but for the most part, people believe that it was taken out of context from one of his sermons that he preached. But regardless uh, of the origin, it still is a very popular uh, quote. And the quote is this. Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, Use words. Preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. Now I get it. That sounds like a beautiful quote, right? It sounds. Really good. It sounds something that's ethereal, something that's majestic, something that's that's like a, a kind of a, a champion for you to motivate yourself in order to go out and live a good life, in order to live out the gospel, in order to show others what the gospel is ultimately to look like. And that is fantastic and great and right. However, that does not save people. Good behavior does not save people. Like you realize that behavior can be mimicked right like love joy patience kindness goodness gentleness all those things can be mimicked and can be right and good however they do not save people i mean when was the last time you had someone come up to you and say i noticed that you don't cuss what must i do to be saved like when was the last time that happened It doesn't, and the reason why it doesn't is because that does not draw people into a relationship with Christ. The proclamation of the gospel is what draws people into a relationship with Christ. Preaching, sharing, telling the gospel is what draws people in, and if you think I, I, I don't believe you. I've heard it the other way. I think if you live a good life, if you live a good example, that models, that brings people in, and, and that ultimately it's the salt of the earth, right? They, they see your lifestyle. It's contrary to their lifestyle. That looks appealing. They want to come in because of that. Now, again, there can be people who live a good life or live right or live out the gospel even, and you might interact with someone who says, man, I just know that there's something different about you and I don't know what that is. At that moment, you have to share the gospel in words. And this is why, Romans chapter 10. This is why you have to use words. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You might say, well, it says to those who preach. Well, I'm not a preacher, so I'm off the hook, right? No. The, the word in Greek for preach is evangelizo, which is what do you think we get from that? Evangelize. Who's called to evangelize? And you know what actually the definition of evangelism is? is just sharing good news. Sharing glad tidings. We evangelize all kinds of things, right? We evangelize movies. Whenever we see a good movie, we saw Hidden Figures this past weekend. Phenomenal movie. Go see it. It's a great movie. I'm evangelizing that movie right now. I'm sharing with you the good news that you should go see it. This is what it means to evangelize. And what he's commanding us here is how beautiful are the feet of those who go and tell the good news to those who are around them. You don't have to have a seminary degree to tell someone good news. But you do need to be educated enough to tell the right good news. And if you are a believer, then you have the right good news because you understand the gospel. You understand the the, the arrows that we talked about, that Jesus came down into the form of a man, that he ministered to those by living a perfect life, by healing, by feeding, by by ministering to people, by teaching us to observe all that he's commanded. And then ultimately he subtracts our sins by dying on the cross, by forgiving us. And then because he died, he resurrected into a glorified state guaranteeing for us who believe in him that we too will be glorified, that we will be resurrected with him into that state in order to live with Him in eternity. That has to be proclaimed. If that is not proclaimed, people do not have the opportunity to accept Him because they've not heard the good news. If you just were to reverse those things, this is what it would look like. I lost my place. Let me find it. There's an equation here. Someone has to be sent Someone has to preach. They have to hear it. Upon hearing it, they're able to believe it. Upon believing it, they're able to call on the Lord for salvation. That's what has to happen. How can it happen if we don't send people out? If we don't send each other out on a daily basis in order to share the news. That's what John the Baptist is talking about when he says, I'm here to witness and testify about the Messiah. I'm here to tell you, for you to hear me, in order for you to understand that there's someone that you should not miss. So how will they hear unless someone tells them? This is why we as a church are making it a priority to live with intentionality and awareness this year. Who are you interacting with every single day? Be intentional, with them think about them observe their life observe what it is that they're placing their hope in study people get to know them in a way and it's easy guys it really is easy we we overcomplicate it in so many ways but it's easy i've been working with you for a year i've kind of gotten to know you a little bit would you like to go grab a drink sometime after work i'd love to just get to know you a little bit more And then based on that, you build a relationship. Like intentionality breeds relationships. Relationships breed the opportunity to then speak gospel into their lives. Like, this isn't just drive-by shooting. Like, that's not what we're shooting for here. I'm not just saying, like, when we walk out of this mall and the mall is opened up and there are a ton of people walking through the halls, I'm not saying that we're walking through saying, hey, Jesus did this, hey, Jesus did that. Like, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying be intentional with those who are in your daily rhythms and invite them into your life. Now, will you have opposition with this? Absolutely. There's always going to be opposition, especially in today's society, because as Christians and what we believe, we're ultimately shifting to being on the wrong side of history here. Because what we believe is beginning to contradict what our government is ultimately legalizing. And so because of that, there's going to be a growing and increasing opposition to what it is that we're proclaiming. You can't even post a comment about the sky being blue without having people comment that it's not. And that we should keep our opinions to ourselves, right? I mean, you can't turn Facebook on and say, this is Facebook, without someone being like, no. (laughs) But it's like, no, this is Facebook. Like, everyone is going to oppose something because it's innate within them. It's sinful. There's going to be opposition primarily to the gospel, because again, I always say the gospel is bittersweet. It calls out your sin. It exposes sin. Jesus came down because we were sinners. Because we could not live perfectly, He had to live perfectly. So when we say we don't live perfectly, that means it reveals all the imperfections that we think are awesome, that we think are great. But the reality is, is it's not and we need it. But when we're proclaiming this gospel, this good news, it's going to receive opposition. There's going to be people who will hate you for it. The prophets of the Old Testament were opposed by the gospel. John the Baptist was opposed to the point of being beheaded. Jesus was opposed to the point of being crucified. And nearly every one of the apostles and early church leaders were opposed from testifying and proclaiming the gospel. Just listen to this. Peter was crucified upside down. Apostle John was boiled alive. Didn't kill him, which made them think that he's really weird. So then they exiled him to Patmos, to the island. Boiled alive. Can you just picture that, just being boiled alive? That's crazy. Stephen was stoned to death, the first martyr. Bartholomew was skinned alive and then beheaded. Andrew, who's Peter's brother, was crucified, but rather than being nailed to the cross, they tied him to the cross in order for the death to take longer, in order for him to have to suffer longer. But guess what he did while he was on the cross for two days? He was preaching to the passerby. That's what he was doing while he was on the cross. That really gets you motivated to go out and share the gospel, doesn't it? I say this not to deter you away from sharing the gospel, but rather to prepare you for the fact that some people will think it's absolutely nonsense. I mean, think about it. Josh alluded to this earlier, and I said, I was thinking back there, he read my sermon and stole it from me, but Josh talked about it in in the liturgy, the fact that, that what we believe sounds crazy, right? Like, if you're sharing the gospel with someone and you ever have them say it back to you, it sounds insane. Like, they would be like, let me get this straight, a virgin gave birth to a man who is God. Fully God, but kind of partly God because he empties himself at some point. But he's also fully man. So fully God, fully man, gave birth. He then lives perfectly, and because he lives perfectly, they then kill him for that. And then after being killed, he then resurrects. He comes back to life and then floats to heaven. And then let me get this straight. like Eventually, he will come back on a white horse To get all of us. That's what you believe? And what do we say? Yes, I do. Absolutely. You want to come with me? We're going to go meet them in the air. Like, that's what we do. Like, that's what we're preaching. That's what we're proclaiming. And it sounds foolish to those who are perishing. Just listen to it. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are preaching. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. That's where we got to stay. That's where we have to keep our focus when sharing the gospel is the fact that it is the power of God to save. Not that it's going to be foolishness, because we know that. We can't be too worried and upset that our witnessing, that our testifying is going to cause people to think that we're crazy. The Bible says we're crazy. The Bible says that we're foolish for believing this. But for those who believe it, it is the power of God unto salvation. It's going to sound foolish. We watched, a, Andrew and I were down in Atlanta um, last week, and, and we saw a video that was played. And the video said, if the world uh, were 100 people, if the world were 100 people, and then it gave some stats on, on, on how, what these people would look like. It said, of those 100 people, the world would be 33 believers and 67 non-believers. They said of those 33 believers, only one of them would be actively sharing and proclaiming the gospel. That's the percentages of those who are actually sharing and proclaiming the gospel in our world. Thinking about the 33 out of 100 um, and I kind of think that that number is a bit high, but, but here's the reality. That would be three out of every ten conversations you have about the gospel would be people coming to know Christ. If the 33 out of 100 is legit, that means there's, there's been that many conversations and those many people have come to know Christ. Now, if you're looking at 3 out of 10, depending on what sport you enjoy, if you like football, for example, if Tom Brady goes 3 for 10 today, they're going to be saying that's a terrible game, and I'm going to be rejoicing in that. But the reality is, if you're, looking, if you're watching a baseball game and they're batting 3 out of 10, they're going to be paying that guy multiple, like a multi-million dollar contract in order to get him on their team, because that is seen as a huge success. Guys, guys, When we see it as Christians, if we share the gospel 10 times and three people get saved, that's 100% accurate. That's 100% perfect because we were pushing, we were going for someone to get saved. The numbers don't matter to us. What matters to us is the fact that we're actually proclaiming the gospel, if I proclaim the gospel and share the gospel to, to friends and family, to neighbors, to coworkers, to whoever I interact with the rest of my life, and not one person gets saved out of that, but I actively proclaim the gospel, God will look at me and say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Why? Because that's always called me to do. As Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. All our action is, is the planting and the watering. The throwing the word out there, the sharing the word, the planting the word in people's hearts and in their minds by just teaching it to them so that they can hear it and then consider it. And only God at that point can take it from head to heart and save them. To draw them into himself. So we don't worry about the numbers. But here are some numbers that I want you to worry about. There are currently 7.48 billion people on the planet. Of that 7.48 billion people, there are 11,749 people groups. Of those 11,749 people groups, 6,693 of them have no access to the gospel. They've not heard about Jesus. That's 3.1 billion people who have not heard about Jesus Christ and therefore do have have no opportunity to call on Jesus for salvation and therefore are going to hell. Why? Because nobody's been sent to them. This is why our mission at the district is to glorify God by making disciples and planting churches. Another way to say it is we're all about Jesus. We're about maturing in Jesus and being sent out in order to proclaim Jesus to the nations. We're already thinking through what international mission looks like. Why? Because we want to be biblical. We want to be obedient. We want to spread the gospel, to see the glory of God, cover the earth like the waters cover the sea, as it says in a, in a 2.14. And like I said, last time you've been out on the sea, if you're out there, there's water everywhere, right? We want to see the glory of God cover the earth like the waters cover the seas. This was... The ministry of John the Baptist. This was the life of John the Baptist. He preached Christ. His life did not end up how most of us would want our life to end up. Even John had questions about how his life ended up. When he found himself in prison for doing what Jesus predestined him to do, John sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus if he was the one or should John expect someone else? Like, did you know that happened? Did you know that John the Baptist, who, who leaped in his mother's womb for Jesus, leaped for joy when Jesus entered into the room, do you realize that John the Baptist devoted his entire life to preaching or proclaiming, Jesus is here, don't miss him, and then when he finds himself at the end of his life imprisoned for doing what Jesus asked him to do, John then begins questioning whether or not Jesus is legit. You know what that does for me? That gives me rest. That gives me comfort that there are going to be days where I doubt, that there are going to be days where I mess up, that there are going to be days where I'm, that I'm struggling whether or not I'm believing, is this real or is this not real, that there are going to be days where I'm looking at Jesus and saying, was all this worth it? And the reality is this is, this is how Jesus responded to him. Jesus said, the blind will see, the lame will walk, and the poor will be ministered to. But Jesus leaves off the last part of this Isaiah benediction, which says, and the prisoners will go free. So John's disciples go to Jesus to ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for another? And Jesus responds, the lame will walk, the blind will see, the poor will be ministered to but he leaves off the fact that the prisoners will go see. I I could just picture John's disciples coming back to him, telling him that, and John saying, I I know this verse, I know this passage, it's in Isaiah, there's a benediction there, are you sure Jesus didn't also say that the prisoners will go free, because I'm imprisoned and I want to go free. And essentially what Jesus is telling him is, is, I am the one, and you are going to be beheaded because of a little stripper girl. What that ultimately is the picture of is what we see one of the last phrases John mentions. And he says, Jesus must increase. I must decrease. John the Baptist, who was considered the greatest man to ever live, his life did not end in that way. His life ended with him imprisoned, and beheaded. I think the, the reality is is that John's life was not about what possessions he had or what type of retirement he was planning to enjoy in the end. His life was not meant to leverage Christ for his own pleasures. The good news of the gospel is not that we get health, wealth, and prosperity the good news of the gospel is that we get God. We get God. And at the end of John's life, that's all he had. That's all he had. He must increase. I must decrease. So the first thing that we can learn from the life of John is the purpose to testify about Jesus Christ. And the second thing is in order for him to make much of Jesus, he himself has to make less of himself this is the great john piper calls it this is the great not of the scriptures john says and i'm just going to go through this real quick he says in chapter one verse eight i am not the light verse 20 i am not the christ verse 21 i am not elijah also in verse 21 i am not the prophet verse 27 i am not worthy to untie his sandals and then he goes on in verses twenty eight through thirty. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is now complete, because he must decrease and I must or he must increase and I must decrease. John's saying here, and I'll paraphrase I'm not the bridegroom, I'm just a friend. And when the bride comes and joins the bridegroom, everybody looks away from me to look to him. And when that happens, John's joy is complete. With that, paraphrasing that to our life, when people see us. And then they look away from us to see Jesus at that moment. We should experience the greatest joy we've ever experienced. When life is about you, everybody owes you something, right? When life is about you, all of a sudden now, if you like I said a couple of weeks ago, if, if someone texts you or if you text them and they don't text you back within a couple of minutes, all of a sudden now you're angry at them because life's about you, right? I know, you're laughing because you take a couple of days to respond. But, here's the re- but but this is the reality. If you're driving down the road and someone cuts you off, like all of a sudden because it's about you, it's not about them, you're frustrated that they cut you off, but you have no idea what's going on in their life. Yeah, they may be some arrogant prick and they just want to cut people off because they drive that way, or they may be trying to get to a hospital, they might be late for work, they, they might be trying to get somewhere quicker, but you're not even considering that because you're only considering yourself. When life is about us, we live in bondage by needing everyone else to validate us, by needing everyone else to tell us how awesome we are. But as soon as our life becomes less about us and more about Jesus, we start pushing the validation from everyone to Christ, not us. We're free. We live in absolute freedom in that place. When you're not looking, when you're not expecting anyone to do anything for you, then you can never be let down. Right? You can never be let down. But when you're emptying yourself in order to pursue and serve and love others, that frees you up. That glorifies and honors God. What did Jesus do? Jesus, the one who did who who de- uh, deserves all the glory, who deserves all the validation empties himself, comes down, submits himself to his Father's will, and points everything to the Father. To the point of death on a cross. To the point, as Second Corinthians 5.21 says, becoming sin. Literally, becoming something that the Father hates, abhors, and destroys. As it says in Isaiah 53, that it was the will of God to crush him because of what he became. Think about that in terms of what we should do in response to that, as we should mimic Christ, as we should imitate Christ, as we should follow after the example of Christ, means that we should take on the responsibility of our sin that in some ways is going to look to everyone else as though we suck. but we're vulnerable by confessing our sin. To, like we don't have to pretend we're awesome. We don't have to put our best foot forward in order for other people to think we're awesome. What leads to people thinking that you're awesome is seeing humility, is walking up to, to people and saying, I am not great. I stink as a husband, I stink as a father, I stink as a pastor, I stink as all these things, but praise God, Jesus came down Praise God that Jesus is awesome. And praise God that He forgave me of my sins so that I can be exalted with Him one day. But I don't need you to exalt me. God will do that. God will do that. That's where we rest. And that's where we see John finding himself. His entire purpose, John's entire purpose was to be forgotten. So that Christ would be known. And guys, that has to be our life. Is that we would be forgotten so that Christ would be known. Psalm 115.1, and and you'll know this if you grew up in youth group. Psalm 115.1 says, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. You're singing the song in your head right now. For the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness, not to us, but to your name we give glory. We must decrease, he must increase. We must make much of him. We must not make much of ourselves. This is why Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7 through he says, So he who plants and he who waters are not anything, but only God who gives the growth. 2 Corinthians 4-5 through says, we, What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. Paul's life was not his own, it was about Jesus. For he says, for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. When, when we die, it's not going to take long for people to forget about. But if they remember that our life was all about making much of Jesus, that's what needs to be remembered. That's what needs to be remembered. I pray that we have ears to hear the message that Jesus is here, that we don't miss him, that we don't miss him for one day. And not only should we not miss him, but we should make much of him and make less of ourselves, as John the Baptist did as well. Let's pray. God, we humbly come to you today, thanking you for sending an extraordinary sinner like John the Baptist, even though he's considered the greatest man to ever live, still sinned. And the blood of Christ covered that, forgave him. And when he was forgotten, He was exalted high with Christ. God, we pray, we plead that this head knowledge that we have, that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would move it to our heart so that it would convict us to move us as God has been doing throughout the Old Prophets, throughout the Old Testament, that it would move us to go and tell, to go and do, to go and share your truth and your message with the world around us, the world who has no hope to accept Christ without us sharing the gospel with them. So, God, would you please embolden us to be able to do that? And, God, at the end of the day, we ask that you would receive all the glory that you would be made much of and that we would be made less of. God, in that place, we receive the utmost joy. I beg for us to get there. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from The District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? At